0: My name is Hindel Grossman. I'm a divorce attorney with offices in Newton and Nantucket. Today you're going to be hearing a recording of a presentation I made at Davio's, the restaurant in Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts, on the topics of prenuptial agreements, postnuptial agreements, real estate contracts, and cohabitation agreements between people. The event at Davio's took place on September 22, 2016, before 40 Women, and was co-hosted by Peggy Wallman of Peggy Wallman Matchmaking. Listen to my interview with Peggy on a separate podcast.
1: going to uh, convert the order a little bit tonight. One would think that maybe we would uh, talk about uh, finding a partner, companionship, falling in love, and then talk about what might happen uh, either legally or financially that would make you want to have support in your corner for that. But we're going to do that first tonight. And my feeling that I told Tindell is, even though, yes, sequentially, that isn't the way it goes, I think it's always in the back of our heads, and it's voices in your heads, even before you go on a first date. What would happen if, and supposing he's not financially secure, or supposing he's still, uh, you know, hasn't gotten over his divorce yet at all, and he needs some support to do that. So I think those are voices in your head enough that we can go a little bit backwards. So I... Delighted to introduce Kendall Grossman, and actually I want to backtrack one step further to say to introduce Amy Lampert, who's here tonight, and she's a financial advisor in in um, Needham, and she is a friend of both Miguel's and mine, and actually in, introduced us, and it was from that introduction that we decided that it would be fun to combine to do an event, uh, a match stir event, and I've done many of them for Match.com, under different ven- different venues than this. So this is a little bit uh, new for me, too. And I'm, the first thing I just want to do is to... Uh, I'm going to introduce Kendall, and she's going to go first. And uh, I figure all of us know how to go on websites and read about uh, everybody's background information and their credentials and all of the... Uh, reasons that they are qualified to do what they do. So I'm here just to say, to introduce Hindel, as in the short time that I've known her, that all I was thinking about it today on my way here, if I were going to get divorced, which I hope won't happen in the immediate future, I can't think of a person that I would rather have beside me to help me through that than Hindel. She is totally a consensus person. She's supportive. Uh, she one of the first things she told me when I met her was that she employs uh, a, a young boy in her office who has Asperger's who did not, even at the at the beginning of their relationship speak or engage or interact, and how far he's come. And so I think you can tell that this is uh, quite a, a lovely, a lovely person. So should you need that under some circumstances or just looking for advice, Uh, She also shared with me that some of the women that she has helped through divorces, she uh, has a group and she's followed them and meets with them regularly as a support group. And I thought, gee, I wish you could put that out to the adversarial world of lawyers quickly. So uh, it is with pleasure that I introduce Miguel Grossman.
0: Tonight, I'm talking about the voice I want to be in your head when you're thinking about getting involved in the next relationship, because I'm really here to discourage future divorces. (laughs) And so what I'd like you to think about is how to best manage the next relationship after Peggy has successfully matched you with some (laughs) wonderful guy or person. Um, So the three areas I'm going to talk about are prenuptial agreements, post-nuptial agreements, and another kind of contract, which can be if you have real estate that you own with someone else, or if you're cohabitating with someone else. And so first, we want to talk about prenuptial agreements. We've all heard of them called prenups. In Massachusetts, they are acceptable, um, but there are certain requirements that you need to meet in order to make them as valid as possible. And you won't be able to test the validity until you really need to enforce it, and that is if that relationship breaks up. So you do the best, we as attorneys, do the best we can to make these prenuptial agreements enforceable, but we're, like so many things we do, looking into the future to try to make the best agreement possible and hope that the law doesn't change by the time you need them enforced. So I can only tell you today what's current law with respect to prenuptial agreements and the enforceability. First, let's talk about how to even talk about a prenup. It's a very delicate topic to discuss, particularly if you're in a a relationship where the money hasn't, money issues haven't come up yet, and suddenly the money conversation needs to evolve, needs to be raised. It's delicate because people have maybe come from other relationships and they have assets and maybe even liabilities from other relationships. And it's something that's hard to bring up even in the dating scenario to talk about. Um, certainly not initially, but eventually. And so you have to pick the timing carefully. But if you're far <laughs> enough into the relationship that you're talking about, can you marry It's something that needs to be talked about. Prenups are, um, the elements of a valid prenup are that it has to be fair and reasonable at the time it's signed. It has to be fair and reasonable at the time someone's challenging its validity, which is when you're divorcing, potentially. But it also has to have full and fair disclosure of all of the assets and liabilities. So there's a contract, document, called the prenup, and attached to it are Schedule A and B. A for One person and be for the other. And on it, you're supposed to disclose all of your assets and your liabilities, so you're talked about these things. But this conversation is so difficult that I recommend to people that they start at least six months in advance. Because it really needs to be both processing time and downtime. The feelings start to get a little bit harder. And it's not in the disclosure process. It's in the process of determining what is going to be shared with the other person and what is not. And sometimes people's considerations in determining what's shared is maybe one of you has kids and you'd rather leave the money to the kids or the house to the kids or you have siblings or you have uh, other people and you don't want to leave your entire estate or what you own then to your potentially new spouse. And that's a kind of a hard conversation. Um, If you both are on the same page with what you want to leave to your respective children, if you both have children fine, that makes it at least a a parallel thought process, but maybe not. Maybe the other person doesn't have children, or maybe the other person has more debts than assets. And each one of you, as I say to people who are getting divorced, everybody goes like this. They want to protect what they have. And um, this is a particular circumstance, particularly if you're divorced, because you've already (laughs) gone like this and trying to protect what you have. And now you're potentially trusting another person in a new relationship. And you want to make sure that you understand what the risk is for you financially. So um, the conversation needs to start early. It can't be the week or even the month before the wedding. Uh, it, it, it tends to breed some of that hard feelings, some difficult conversations that you need to separate from and then think about and come back to talk about. So it needs running room, with call it, to bring up the topic and then talk about it. In the prenuptial agreement itself, certain um, – there's. It has two major components. One is what happens to those assets and liabilities in the event of a divorce in that new relationship, and the second is what happens in the event of death. So I'm going to f- focus primarily tonight on what happens in the event of divorce. So theoretically, you've already been through one battle, divorce battle, perhaps, um, and you now you want to preserve the assets you've won in that battle, and you want to move, but you want to move forward in some good faith relationship. Often, what happens is people say that you each keep what you brought into that rela- new relationship. So there's are premarital assets in this marriage. So if you have a piece of real estate, the house, commercial property, whatever, a vacation home, whatever it is, you keep that yourself, and you don't put the other person's name on the deed. So that becomes separate property or premarital property. And um, and then you might say, for example, that things that you've earned together during the marriage, that is joint property. So there's a distinction between what you identify as separate and what you identify as joint. And so from that general structure, you can then decide are you going to have a joint bank account? What are you going to put in the joint bank account? Are you going to own any real estate jointly? If you don't own real estate jointly, if you're living in your house or if you're living in the other person's house, how are you going to handle the finances between the two of you during the marriage? And I'm saying that now because I'm going to distinguish this kind of real estate agreement from the ones where there's no marriage, and that's a different kind of contract. So you might talk about who who owns the house, who's paying the mortgage, who's going to pay for maintenance, who's going to pay for improvements, um, who's who's going to have the increased equity in the house if the market continues to increase and the property increases in value. So what we often say is that whatever you have now, you know, If you have $100,000 in a stock, or in a real estate, or some sort of asset, you get to keep that, potentially, as a premarital asset, and any appreciation that grows on that during the course of the relationship. Those are, those are terms that are specified. Um, and then you get to decide, through your negotiations, what you want to have joint, as joint property. And, and all of this is these are important conversations to have so that everybody's really clear because I find that people who aren't really clear even though the feelings may be hurt initially it's better to have them hurt now and work these things out early rather to wait till, till later and try to work them out So prenups have enormous value the, they get challenged periodically if someone um, doesn't you know gets divorced and has signed one that they eventually don't like uh, it's possible that the other person has you no, know, either through earnings or through inheritance or through something has built up a very large estate and that they don't can't take advantage of it at the at the divorce, so they become unhappy and they might challenge the validity of the prenup. Ways to make the v- prenup as valid as possible uh, include, as I said, full and fair disclosure. And so on these schedules, A and B, when you identify what your assets are, you have to put a value on there. They had a prenup challenge a year ago where I represented the husband in a divorce, but the husband put on there that he had a 7.5% interest in a realty trust, but there was no value put to it. And that was because that trust owned like $9 million worth of real estate, and no one wanted to spend the time getting appraisals on all that real estate and then putting a value on it. It was you know, it just much trouble, and it was fine. I mean, I understood why it happened. But in that case, the wife said, you know, it's invalid because you didn't identify... The value of that real estate at the time we, got, we signed this prenuptial agreement, which was signed only a week before the marriage, and she had no attorney, um, and so therefore it's invalid because I didn't know what I was giving up. So the point of the full disclosure is so both parties, both sides know what they're what they're giving up. Uh, in that case, you know, the wife who challenged the prenup said, "I didn't have an attorney." The husband said, "Well, yeah, but you." my attorney explained it to you, didn't understand, you didn't ask any questions. And if you get to the point where someone challenges a prenup, these are the kinds of circumstances that become difficult to overcome. So really, both sides need to have an attorney in a prenup to enhance the chance that the prenup will be valid in the future. And um, both sides need to you know, have English, whatever language it's written in, as their first language, so nobody can say later they didn't understand it. Um, and then it needs to be signed you know, in front of a notary so that it can be determined in the future with any luck to be fair and reasonable, because that is ultimately the standard. There are certain things you can waive in a prenup. Um, alimony is one of those things that's very delicate about, about waiving. It's treated a little bit differently than assets, assets meaning real estate or bank accounts or stock uh, or retirement accounts. Waiving alimony um, gets looked at very carefully later because the theory is the judges don't like people to become public charges. And if a person, let's say a woman, has waived alimony in a prenuptial agreement and then later finds that she needs alimony, the judges might find that she, you know, that prenup is invalid in that part because they think that she deserves alimony. Child support, if the pair have children together, um, is can't be waived at all. In a prenuptial agreement. It's because the judges require the courts require that you know both parents need to support the children. So it cannot be avoided. that's a prenuptial agreement. A postnuptial agreement is between people who are already married, and this is usually a surprise to people that actually you can do this. So I've had circumstance a couple of years ago where the husband was going to inherit about five million dollars from his family, and he there was already a sizable amount of money in the in the household. So it wasn't like this was going to it's a lot of money, certainly. But they already had a lot of money. So um, we had a post nuptial agreement, and we basically excluded this additional inheritance amount from the <laughs> marital pot so that if this couple were ever to divorce, that new inheritance money would theoretically be excluded from being divided. So the third type of agreement is combination, effectively, of cohabitation agreements and real estate agreements. And these are circumstances where you're not married. There's no marriage. but yet. Either you want to cohabitate or you want to own real estate with somebody else. Cohabitation obviously suggests that you're living with someone else, and then each one of you has a, might have a responsibility toward paying some household expenses. It's best to have that kind of agreement in writing. You could have it orally. At least you've had a, at least a conversation. But in a case I had recently where both parties were previously married and the man moved into the woman's house that she had gotten from her divorce... He then invested, he'd been paid $120,000 to put a a new addition on that house, and he paid the mortgage on that house. And when this relationship, this unmarried relationship fell apart, and they were selling this house, it was hard to determine who got what from the proceeds of the sale. He had paid the mortgage, so he had paid down the principal of the mortgage every month, so he had, that accrued equity in the property, the addition of the $120,000 addition he put on the house. How much should that increase the value? How much should he get back of that? If not dollar for dollar, then what? And it became very complicated and became somewhat contentious. It did get resolved rather simply in the end. But it it would have been unnecessary had there been some sort of agreement between the two of them about how that was managed. My daughter, who's 28, is now living with her boyfriend in Baltimore. And you can imagine what I made her do. (laughs) I made her have... They bought a... uh, you know, townhouse together in Baltimore. They each put in the same amount of money as the down payment and they're each paying the equal amount of the mortgage. But that, those were terms that the two of them had agreed to. I had nothing to do with that. I just said, whatever you agree to, I'm going to draft it for you. And I did and they both signed it and I attended the closing and they both signed it. So that if they were to break up, how do we handle this real estate? Um, so the way it's drafted at the moment and the way I usually recommend it is that if one of you, if you break up, and one of you wants to keep the real estate and the other one doesn't, then you get an appraiser, you determine the value, you determine the equity, and there's a buyout. But both of them are committed to the mortgage because they both apply to the mortgage together on the loan. So if my daughter were be, were the one that decided to leave this townhouse, I don't want her obligated on the mortgage that they both signed. So I wanted to free up her credit. I didn't want him to ruin her credit if he weren't paying my time. So... Um, the way it's drafted, is that she, um, they have an appraisal within a certain period of time to determine the value. He has to refinance the mortgage and pay her out whatever the equity is, half of the equity in the property. She's then free and clear. He then continues on with the particular state that he owns by himself. And if they neither one wants the property, that's easy. They just sell and split the proceeds. But if they both want the property, then what? Maybe neither one of them wants to leave, and you know, by the end of a relationship, if they starts to go sour, people get a little pissy with each other, and that's necessarily not agreement about who's going to leave the property. Then we had to determine how that was going to de- ha- happen, and we determined that you know whoever can get the financing, because I think their the salaries are not the same, whoever can get the financing can come up with the cash to buy the other one out. That's how it will happen. So. I'm hoping, I love the guy she's living with, so I'm hoping to never see those days. But I'm grateful that they at least had the conversation with
1: them. So that's
0: essentially what I have to say. The standard for the cohabitation agreement and this real estate agreement I mentioned is different than for the prenup. Um, it's a contract between two consenting adults, and so the terms of whether it's valid or not are different. You don't need um, the full and fair disclosure and the fair, um, you know, fair and reasonable at the time it's signed and later at the time it's challenged. It's really like any contract in Massachusetts, there has to be something called consideration, which is a legal term that means something that's given and taken. And it can't be sex. So there are cases that say that sex isn't enough as consideration for these contracts. There have to be something more. Um, And um, just, you know, people are generally uncomfortable about approaching financial and contractual terms with someone that they love. Um, but I urge you to consider ways. Tech has all sorts of wonderful ways of approaching difficult topics, um, as, as do many other therapists. But these are difficult but essential conversations that I recommend you think about, and are probably thinking about while you're going through the dating process and how that might you might weave these thoughts uh, into uh, what you need and want for the relationship. Well, thank you. I appreciate all of you for coming tonight. This is. It's my pleasure to introduce Peg Wallman to you tonight. It's so wonderful putting this program together with her. We're in sync together in that way. And as a byproduct, Peg introduced me to someone from Peg Wallman (laughs) Matchmaking. So that was lovely. Uh, She's the founder and CEO of Matchmaking and Dating Coaching Services. She has made appearances in CBS News, CBS This Morning, the Boston Globe, the New York Times, and your tango, and of course, has been actively involved in Match.com. Um, I see from, web, from Peg's website that there's this lovely photo of her work walking on the beach with, with her husband, Richard, of 50 years. And I must say, now that I've re- met Richard and gotten to know Peg a l- little better, it's really an endearing, wonderful relationship. And I know that Richard's often involved in the matchmaking process and trying to put the right people together with his skill as well.
1: And I've learned a lot from Peg
0: these past uh, months getting to know you, uh, how, to, how to say things a little bit better, how to say things a little more personally, and I think she has a lot to teach you So Welcome Peg.
1: I'm using a little bit of an iPad tonight because there's a lot of information and I wish I could keep it all in my head as readily as, as uh, Kendall does, but I think that There are so many dimensions of the topics that we approach together. And each of you here tonight comes from a a different place. And so I, I know some of you may be coming out of a divorce. Some of you may be widowed. Some of you may be single and are looking for a relationship for the first time. Some of you may have started this process of either going online or telling all your friends that you're looking for someone. Some of you may have done nothing, but maybe tell one friend and think, well, that's it. I'm all set. I told my one friend, and I'm ready, I'm ready now. And so each of you comes to this, um, I think, from a different place, and there's uh, so much information out there. And so what I decided to do tonight was to take three uh, approaches and give you uh, some bits of three that I think are... Relevant that I hope will be helpful. So the first one is some general advice about getting started. I'm not going to ask here about who is just getting started, and then then we're going to talk a little bit about some online strategies, and then we're going to I'm going to give you some advice based on my experience of actually being on dates. Some (laughs) possible. Responses or initi- initiators of comments and how you can make that work for you during the evening. Um, the first thing I'd like you to do at your tables is I'd like you to just think for a moment. You're going to take about five minutes will be enough for this. I would like you to say your name to the table, and I would like you to share with the table something about yourself that you would want someone to know about you if they were to meet me. So I'm going to give you a clue. It's probably not about your job. But I would like you to think for a moment and share something about yourself to your table as little introductions. Hello? So I'll be happy to go first as an example. These are brief. But this is all about practice. And I can tell you right now, that luck happens when preparation meets opportunity. You have to practice things. You have to feel prepared. If you don't feel prepared, there's this wall out there, and there's these voices back here, and then it's like, oh my gosh, this isn't working. Get me out of here. So this is just a little bit of practice right now. So, hello, I'm Peggy Wolman. This is my team. It's really nice to meet you. And uh, I love musical theater. You have a few minutes to share that with each other. Okay. So my my question is, uh, and some of you really have not maybe started this process yet of putting yourself out there in a what I call a new way, because as we all know, doing things the way we've always done them produces the same results. So somehow or other, we have to decide in our own minds what a new way of doing something is. So just a little bit for a second, so how did it feel to sort of say to a group of women that you've never met before, something personal about yourself? Somebody tell me. Easy. Not so easy. Maybe not so easy, right? Not so easy. So each of us is very different in this way. For some people, it's easy. You meet a, um, a man, he takes you for a drink, and right away, you want to say something nice to him about either something of some compliment to him, or you expressing something. I heard somebody use the phrase tonight. I think I heard it right here. Something about which I'm passionate. That is a, a wonderful phrase. And the reason that's a wonderful phrase is it has nothing to do with what you are passionate about. I don't, it can be the Red Sox. It can be opera. It can be shopping at the mall. It doesn't matter. What you're looking for is how somebody responds to what you say. And here's three ways people can respond. They can respond by simply saying, so maybe I would say, you know, I find as I'm getting older, I'm a very spiritual person. I might scare someone away, but that's okay. I might say it anyway. So there's three ways that people respond, guys would respond. Even if they say, oh, that's really interesting. I'm not spiritual at all.
0: <laughs> or
1: they might say, and you might say, what does that mean to you? Or maybe he'll say, that's interesting. I'd like to hear more about that. Or maybe he'll say, so am I. But here's the deal. It doesn't matter which of the three he says. It matters that you're hearing how he appreciated or acknowledged what you said. And I don't know how many of you remember the movie Grease or the show or whatever, Uh, but there's a great song in there and it's (laughs) Tell Me More. Tell me more is a mantra that you can use. That's how you get to know people, by asking for more information. What happens when these experiences feel brand new is you hear something and it doesn't feel right and it right away triggers, he is not for me. I am not going to spend my, waste my time on someone who can right away say to me, he's not even spiritual. And then I asked him a little more about it and he said, well, actually, you know, my, uh, when my ex-wife was ill several years ago, I, I realized I started to think more about my own life and to think more about what every day meant and how every day mattered. OK, well, I don't know about you, but I feel like that's pretty mindful. So you have to find out what people mean when they're, when they're acknowledging something. So here are um, a few general bits of uh, statements for tonight. First and foremost, I am 100% committed to the fact that nobody is too old to find love and be in a relationship. Nobody. And, of course, the article in the New York Times several years ago when they called called me up on the telephone and they were interested in interviewing a client, and a 74-year-old client, that article is about a woman who was 74 at the time. And I think that's just a testimony to the fact that the world appreciates the fact that older adults can fall in love and form relationships. Uh, On our website now, there's an interview with um, one very renowned uh, social anthropologist by the name of Helen Fisher. I really recommend her books to you, Why Him, Why Her? Many books. She's you know, a well-known, best-selling author. And I'm just going to give you this little quote, because I love this. She said, our brain is like a, a sleeping cat, waiting to be awakened at any time. You can fall in love at two and a half and at 92 and a half. The brain is ready to fall in love. So I think if you can keep that in a place inside you. Uh, and, and I also just want to tell you that this spring, an 87-year-old gentleman came into our office. And dapper, three-piece suit, just absolutely adorable, and I, I thought, wait a minute, 87? And he started talking, and he had just come back from Oregon, where he had gone to his granddaughter's graduation out of Reed College. He had a three-week trip planned to Budapest during July, which he's now come back from. And the week he came to see us, he was getting a brand new Tesla. And he left our office. And let me tell you, I took a step back to what my own preconceived notions were. And we you know, introduced him to three lovely women. I, I try not to even talk about ages with people because I fundamentally believe that one 60-year-old can be like an 80-year-old and one 60-year-old can be and act and look like a 40-year-old. I can't tell any ages anymore. And I think, you know, look at you all. You're, you're beautiful. You know, you're beautiful, you're fresh, you're young-looking. No guy, it's really hard for guys. You know, they're, if you can keep that away from them, they can really end up surprised about Women. So age is really important. So um, the second one I want to say is, that these are just some general comments. You have to be open to new possibilities. When I asked Picasso, how do you choose what to paint? He said, I see, I find, it. I find, it. I look out there, I think that the world is full of possibilities. So I say that when to benefit from your wisdom and your experience, that you can actually be more open and not more closed. You have to use that experience to say, I can use that experience to open myself up, or I have the choice. I can use that experience to close myself off. So here's a sentence that I prescribe to, and I'm gonna give you a few of these. This is one, and many women tell us this is so liberating for them. I am looking for someone wonderful and I know he may come in a totally unexpected package. Now, you, you practice saying that like to the mirror, or to a girlfriend, or any way you go, you will take away all those voices about what that hat person has to be. What does that have He has to be someone wonderful who cares for you. And he may be tall, and he may be short, and he may be bald, and he may be rich, and he may have gone to all the schools that somehow you felt more important, and he may love all the same shows you did. None of that matters. What matters is that you are open to the fact that he may—he's he, in an unexpected package. Okay. So the next one after that is that I want to tell you to forget your lists. Really important phrase. Forget your list. Think about who you need, not about who you want. Who are the people that make you happy? Who do you like to be with and why? Do they have a certain figure? Do they have a certain job? Do they go on certain certain places on vacation? Probably not. You choose your friends because they, they're people who make you feel good. They're what I call penthouse people, not basement people. So you're looking for people who that you feel happy with. And I think that's really important. Think about what you need, not what you want. You have the power to create change, but you have to be proactive. If you were looking for a job today, would you sit at home and just wait and think, well, maybe my friend will call me and she'll... I think she said she might know someone. or I think there's a job. Open to, I think I'll just wait a little while and maybe I might get that. I, I might get that job. You know, I might if I have one more cup of coffee. Well, you know what? You probably won't. You have to get out there. You've got to go to new Starbucks, new grocery stores, new events with new people. Separate at the door. Meet each other during intermission. Go over to someone you've never met and tell them to introduce yourself. And a phrase that we like, that we suggest, this is another little nugget, is if you when you ask someone to fix you up, I don't know, I just feel like there's like this wall that comes. Oh, I wish I knew somebody, I did know somebody, but I think he's already with somebody now. Oh my gosh, there's so much stuff that comes back at you. So I, I like this. If you know someone that you think might like to meet me. Very different than saying who you think I would like to meet. Who you think would like to meet me. I hope you will keep me in mind. People remember that phrase. They like that phrase. They don't feel imposed upon. And more important, you don't have to feel uncomfortable saying it. You're not thinking to yourself, I want to ask this person if she knows someone for me to meet, but I'm not sure how to ask. If you know someone who you think might like to meet me, I hope you'll keep me in mind. Now, here's the trick with that, is that we actually, a woman that we had as a client who um, was attending the wedding of a friend. And her friend had not used any services or help of any kind. And she found a wonderful man. It was an afternoon wedding, second marriage. I think she was almost 60. And this woman who was a client of ours came in. She said, I know this sounds terrible but I'm actually feeling kind of jealous and sort of like, I don't know, I can't explain it. She's one of my best friends, but I can't believe this didn't happen for me. I've been working at this. I've been doing all the right things, and how come I haven't found him? She was so lucky. She just found somebody, and now I'm gonna go to her wedding, and I'm supposed to feel like really good that day, and I don't know what to do. So we wrote a toast, and the toast went like this. I'm so happy for my friend Susie that she found someone wonderful. Like mine, and I hope someday I'll find someone as wonderful as mine. No, oh, I can't say that. I can't do that. I could never get up in front of people and say that. So we practiced and practiced and practiced. And she went to the wedding, and she said nothing happened. It was a day, a, a day wedding. Late in the afternoon, it was a daytime wedding. 4:30, a gentleman comes up to her, and says, "I really like what you said in your toast. I'm married." But I'd like to introduce you to my cousin. They have been together since then. You are only one degree of separation away. Women are wonderful connectors. You are only one degree of separation away from someone saying, I know someone who I think would like to meet you. There it was. She put it out in the universe. That was all she did. She didn't even have to do anything else. So, and, and, Power means taking risks. So this is an email that I received. Thank you for your recent invitation to your Match.com event. This is not this event, this is another But I am no longer in the dating market. 40 years ago, I was engaged to a man I always referred to as the love of my life. Under the influence of controlling parents, we each went our own way. As you know, I resisted posting my profile on Facebook. But I am so grateful you pushed me to do it and even showed me how because when I finally did, Tom contacted me, and we have been seeing each other for over a year. I am thankful every day he reached out and that I was there for him to reach out to. Please feel free to use our story of reconnecting. If it inspires one woman over 50, it would be worth it. Thank you so much. Nice. So taking risks, you have the power to create change. Okay, so the next topic is online dating. Big question. Do I have to go online? Should I go online? Could I go online? I'm trying to incorporate the word could more in my life with all of this rather than should. And I recommend that to everybody. But there's a very clear answer to this question. And the answer is yes. There are 54 million men online. There are more men than women online. There are... it. When they ask Willie Sutton, why do you rob banks, the notorious bank robber, rob him? What did he say? That's where the money is. This is where the men are. You cannot avoid this in today's world. The likelihood that someone is going to walk along the street or a friend or a movie or whatever it is, this is really a planet where there are so many men out there. And it doesn't mean that it's easy and quick and that you're going to love every bit of the process, but it can be fun. It can be fun. And it's, I can tell you right now, over 45, over 50, over 60, it is not an option not to include that. Finding love may not sound very romantic, but it's a numbers game. That's what it is. So in order to be uh, online, uh, first of all, writing profiles and posting your own profiles, in, in our experience, is, I don't want to say 100%, but it's so difficult to do it about yourself. And even with a girlfriend or a child or whatever it is. I don't care who it is, there are so many experts out there. There are wonderful writers, there are coaches, there are people who do this all the time. It does not need to be us. I really believe, though, that you need objective advice and you need skilled writing. Being online is you are telling a personal story about your life experience. I remember when my uh, grandfather took me to Kenway to see the Red Sox, and I've been a devoted fan ever since. Is that different than I love sports? What is I love sports? What is I love the beach? What is I love music? What is I love sunsets?
0: It is nothing. It is out there.
1: Is there anybody here who doesn't love those things? You need to be very, very specific about yourself so that you can filter. This is all about filtering. You are trying to filter out people so that they will not, so that you won't come in and say, oh, I I get so many admirers and responses online, but they're all terrible, and they're all married, and they're all this, and they're all that. Where are your filters? Here's a couple of little things to keep in mind about that. One is empty adjectives. I'm cheerful. I'm fun-loving. I'm adventurous. They don't have any meaning. "I'm funny, I'm honest. Really? I wouldn't know if you're funny and honest until what? Until when
0: Who said? Until you meet
1: someone, How would you possibly know if someone is funny and honest until you meet them? You won't. So you have to get rid of empty adjectives, and you have to get rid of these sentences that are these general statements that are not they're just simply not statements. Where are the sunsets? Where are the beaches? What kind of music do you like? Beethoven? Do you like rock? This particular rock and roll artist? It has to be out there. <laughs> if he's never listened to Beethoven and he doesn't want to and he has no interest, guess what? He's not going to send you an email, no matter how cute you are. And that's great because you don't really want an email from him because it's not someone you want to spend your time with. So you are doing your own filtering. Um, okay. Next one. You have to post a professional photograph. Oh, I know everybody. Oh, I know, I know. You don't want to, and you know I don't take a good picture, and nobody takes a good picture, and nobody likes pictures of themselves. But guess what? You need a professional photograph, and no black. Can't wear black. Don't wear black. And yes, smile. If I could tell you the number of men that come into us, and they say the number one thing they're looking for someone with a warm smile, they're looking for someone with a warm smile. So. You have to invest in professional photographs. No selfies. No photographs with children, no photographs with dogs. You can put them on the side. You can put them on the sidelines as your extra photos if you want, but here's the thing. Men read profiles for 10 seconds and they look at photos for 3. Better be a good photo. Better be something you like and you're putting out there, okay? And, and believe me, I can't count the number of women who've said to us for hosts of reasons, I can't do that, I'm, you know, I'm much too much of a public figure. Are there options to that? Yes. You can hide your photo if you want, and then in an email you can say to someone who may have corresponded with you, I'd be happy to share my photo with you. Do I think that there's a lot of traction in that approach? No. But I, you know, there's no one way to do all of this, so I, I do want to respect Um, so, reaching out to men first. Yes, hello, of course, 100%. We are not living in an age where you have to wait to be admired by a gentleman. If he looks attractive to you, or he says something interesting in his profile, of course you should reach out. Would you wait to have a job come to you? No, you go out and you you do something about it if it looks like something that's appealing. Can't sit on those traditional things that we learned and they're they're not they're not useful anymore. So yes, you should reach out to men, but you have to reach out carefully and briskly. Short little emails, three sentences, something that piqued your interest in his profile, something that you share in common, and you're looking forward to hearing from him. Never the word hope. There's no hope in this. There's hope it. But there's no hope for that, because that really does express a layer of lack of confidence to me. I hope I'll hear from you. I oh, hope oh, 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 oh. No, you don't want that. I look forward to hearing from you. I'm an advocate for using your real name. Some people like nicknames. I think that's fine. There's room for a lot of answers to a lot of these questions. Mine are from some experience. But you have to find your own comfort zone with this. I liked this. The formula for online success, a healthy attitude, realistic expectations, compassion, patience, doing the work, a little help from the universe, finding love online. Remember, I said this before, luck happens when preparation meets opportunity. This is your preparation. This is what you do to prepare yourself. So, and my final topic here. Is some dating advice uh, in general. So first of all, I like to start the evening with a compliment. Is there a compliment? It's so nice. How many of us don't enjoy when someone says something nice to you? It's really nice to have you here. Thank you for introducing us. Whatever it is, to compliment someone sincerely, I want you to say to somebody, "I really love your jacket." If you don't love your jacket, or this is a really what a nice choice of a restaurant. This was, what a beautiful view. But making people feel good is how you build connection. With That's how you build connection, by giving compliments. And, and believe me, I tell this to guys all the time. You have to be prepared with your 30-second elevator speech. That's not what you did before. That's something about which you are passionate. What? Who you are as a person is not about what you do. It may be rewarding and gratifying, and you love going to work every day. That's a wonderful thing to say, but you do not need to say in your elevator speech what you do. And I said this to you, like, sorry, I don't remember your name, but this, this, this is so true. I actually said this, told Candel this. The number of men now that say, listen, I really don't want you know some type A personality, an alpha dog, a head of a hedge fund, this, that, other. I just want a sweet, lovely, nice woman, and I, I want her to be, I don't know, like can you find a nurse that, or can like a social worker? <laughs> I, I want women that are not so proactive and so into their own lives that they're not going to have room for men. Whether or not that's true or not, it can come across very easily and very easily misinterpreted. If you say I love an art, I love art. My daytime my daytime job is I'm a corporate lawyer. You know, you don't have to flash right away out there your work. It's much more important to say who you are. I am a person who's here because I'm looking for a meaningful relationship. I'm a person who's who's dating because My past relationship didn't work out the way i hoped, and I'm really looking forward to making a relationship work the next time. I don't want to be a nurse. Everybody says I don't want to be. I already heard this. I don't want to be a nurse in a purse. I've heard it a 100 million times. And you know what my response, I have two answers to that. One is, I'm less interested in what you think you want from the relationship, and I'm more interested in you deciding what you're going to bring to the relationship. What are you bringing? What are you bringing to this
0: relationship
1: rather than what you're going to be taking from? It? And the nurse and a person, we talked about this before, things happen. Things happen not only to the man that you might be with, but things happen to you. You need shoulder surgery. You need knee surgery. You need this. And having somebody there for that would be really nice. So it works both ways, just to sort of remember that. Men tell us all the time, Women ask too many questions. Question, 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 question. How long have you lived here? How many siblings do you have? Where did you go to school? How long have you been working a job? Do you like living in Boston? Questions shift the responsibility from you to somebody else to talk about your agenda. Your agenda is you'd like to know how someone likes living in Boston. I'd like to know how someone likes living in Boston. It sounds harmless, but maybe he's here in Boston because it's the only way he could have custody of his kids if he stayed here. And he really didn't want to stay here at all. He got a great job offer out in California. Maybe he's here he's taking care of an elderly parent who really wishes that he could. He's counting the days until he can move back to you know, Portland, Oregon, where he lived happily before he got here. I don't know what it is. But I can tell you one thing, none of those will be the answer. The answer will be this. Boston's fun. I like Boston. It's a nice city. And your date is all of a sudden going down here. Why? Because it's the most boring response you could ever hear. But it wasn't his agenda. It was your agenda. If you like living in Boston and you're looking out the window, you have to say, I love living in Boston. These are I statements. You are making I statements. You are not. Asking questions, the three most intrusive questions in this culture that don't exist anywhere else in the world, anywhere else. You would go to Europe and you would sit at a table, they would laugh if you, they, if you said, where did you go to school? And, you know, uh, even what do you do for a living? You know, like the New Yorker cartoon, I love that. You know? so what, what do you do? You mean for money? You know, what do you do, where did you go to school, where did you grow up? I grew up in New York. Oh, really? Where in New York? Oh, the Upper East Oh, the Upper East Side. Oh. So everything is somehow telling you a little bit of information that then you're depositing in a particular way, and then you're making all these interpretations about what you heard. You have to learn to make statements about you and try to ask. I mean, questions are organic. I'm not saying you're never going to ask questions. But be aware when you're meeting someone. But you're not reading them with questions. You're reading them with information about yourself. So, um, okay. So here are a few very specific questions that Pandella and I talk about when we do come a to. Um, well, one is I'd like you to just try to eliminate those voices in your head about should and change the word to could. I could respond this way. It's not I should. It's not. I. I should tell him that. I, I. should tell him that I have to be home by nine o'clock. Because if I'm not home by nine o'clock and my kid gets home from soccer, and he's going to wonder where I was. I could tell him. I could. You have choices in this. You have to get rid of a little of that baggage all about what you should do. So here's a couple of questions. <clears throat> Who pays on dates? First of all, I just want to say there are as many answers to these questions as there are questions. These are the answers that seem to work most with a lot of the women that we've met. To me, and to us, it doesn't matter at all who initiates dates. You want men to pay for your dates if you are over 50 years old. And there are two reasons for me. One is because I want to know he can, and the other is, is because I really want to know that it is occurring to him to be generous in that way. Sometimes women will say, well, I want to offer to pay the tip. Or I did offer to pay the tip. <gasps> I couldn't believe it. He said yes. What was that about? Why did he say yes to my offer? Why did you offer? Did you, were you testing him to see how he would respond? Expect that graciousness at this stage of life. When you're For clients that are 20s and in their 30s, and, well, things are different then. They haven't settled. They're not settled in their lives. This is different. We say after the fourth, fifth date, baby. Then I think it's really nice if a woman comes up with something that she would like to do based on your experiences together. Gee, I know we both love, have expressed that we enjoy musical theater. And you know, Sunday in the Park is playing at the Huntington. And I, I think it would be really fun to go, my treat. Now, there's two answers to that. He says, oh, I'd love to go, but no." I, want to pay. Fine. Thank you very much. Or, that sounds great and I'd love to. Thank you for the invitation. Both to me are perfectly fine. But you've waited until there was something a little bit comfortable to do that. Okay. Um, What if your date says something that really turns you off? Two reminders. I think someone said something to me earlier tonight. Um, One is, remember, he's nervous too. This first date business is absolutely traumatic. Nobody knows. There's no patterns. There's no specific guidelines. He's nervous. He may say something that may trigger something for you, and then all of a sudden he's back in your head as someone all the way. I I barely want to be here for the rest of the evening. Because he said one thing that somehow (coughs) didn't fit into your spectrum. And an example of that that I had was a woman from upper state New York Uh, She's a professor up there, and she had gone out with somebody. And she reported back to us that I just couldn't believe what he said. He said that when he was in college, his mother wrote his papers for him. And she said, that was the end for me.
0: Have you you ever
1: heard of anything more ridiculous than that? So I said to her, well, what did he mean? She said, I don't know. Did he type them for her? Did he, I don't know what, what I I still don't know. I don't know what he meant. But when something does not strike you right, and it doesn't resonate and something feels askew, rather than say, oh, my intuition was right, this isn't the guy I want to spend the rest of my life with, which I don't think you can ever decide in one day anyway, instead, ask him a little bit more about what he meant by that or if something didn't resonate in a way that, is weighing heavy. It's like raising your children. You know, you can't get mad at them in the moment. It doesn't work so great. But if you can put it off a little bit and come back at a later time in the evening or at the day or the next day or whatever, say, you know, we talked about this. And you know, that there was something that you said that just didn't resonate with me last night. And I, I just wanted to share it with you and let you know how I felt. Now you are getting to know someone. Because you're going to hear how he feels because you've been honest about what you felt instead of putting it into that place where he's out of here. I don't like that. It didn't make sense to me. Um, when should we talk about financial security? We suggest you postpone the topic of each other's financial security till you have decided this is someone you want to be extensive with. There's no reason for you to talk about your financial security while you're just dating. You, when you've decided that this is a relationship that you really want to be in, the information Hindel gave you is priceless. You need to hang on to that. Does there have to be chemistry or a spark? Well, oh, do this all the time. Mm-hmm. Of course there has to be something that attracts you to someone. But is it gonna be the same kind of chemistry and spark that you might have felt 20 or 30 years ago, for those of you who may have been in an earlier relationship? Probably not. This this time at this time in your life, it may be based on a sense of humor. It may be based on his calm demeanor. It may be based on his adventurous spirit. It's going to have a different background to it than what it had when light bulbs were going off and everything just felt like. And that it doesn't mean you're not attracted, but it, it does mean that it takes time. It doesn't necessarily have to happen the first time you look at someone. I think if you can put that in a place and remember that, you can enjoy meeting people um, This time, this relationship is likely to have its own unique features. Some of you may be widowed, some of you divorced, some of you never married, it doesn't matter. This one is unique. And if you're trying to replicate one, that can be dangerous. And if you're trying to say to yourself, I know it, I'm going to tell you, Peggy, right now, here's a list of exactly what I don't want. You you can't know. You can't know. Every man is different. Someone we were talking before. Here's another word to get rid of. All. All, all. All men online are married. All older men want younger women. All men are... There's no all in this. The new word in your vocabulary is some. Some. And guess what? You're only looking for one. You don't need some. You only want one. So if you can try to back away from the generalizations... Um, I'd like you to see yourself as confident, spectacular women. Unstick yourselves from these limiting beliefs that you've had before. Think about doing things in a way that's new and that to produce new results. Little things. A different Starbucks. A different supermarket. Try something new. You wouldn't still be here if you didn't have hope that there's someone wonderful out there for you otherwise you wouldn't be here. And it's that hope, it's that belief that really empowers you. And if you can feel empowered to do this, this will happen for you. I like the, uh, some of us, I assume, are old enough to remember the lyrics, pick yourself up, take a deep breath, dust yourself off, and start all over again. And that's, I think, what this is all about. It's not easier or harder when you're older. It's both. But you can you can do that if you own if you own that moment when a journalist asked Nora Ephron, "Why do you only write about relationships?" She said, "Is there anything else?"
0: If you'd like more information about the topics covered in our podcast, please contact us at Grossman and Associates. You'll find a competent and experienced team of compassionate, responsive and innovative legal professionals. Email me at hindell at grossmanltd.com. My first name is spelled H-I-N-D-E-L-L. Or call us at 617-969-0069. Thank you for listening.